If you enjoy our content and think this is important material, the best compliment you can pay is by sharing this with your friends and family. This helps us out a lot. Also, if you enjoyed today's program, please like, comment, share, and subscribe to this podcast. We would love to hear from you. Welcome to the Truth In My Days podcast, where we defend the Word of God against the challenges of men. Hello, this is Sonia. I'm here with Truth In My Days director John Torse. John, I have a question about Genesis 1. I recall that in another program you already discussed the meaning of the chapter and showed that it says that God created the world and the life in it in six 24-hour earth rotation days. Yes. And you showed that the chronological data given in the Bible fixes the age of the earth as somewhere between 5,844 and 7,687 years. Yeah. So that would mean that there's no room for the billions of years that science supposedly claims for the age of the world. And I remember you showed in detail that science doesn't even actually show that. Yes. And yet, many Old Testament scholars are claiming that the Bible doesn't really teach creation in six 24-hour days, and that this is not incompatible with a billions of years old earth. Yes, there are many Old Testament scholars who do claim that. But I would say that their motivation doesn't come from anything the Bible says. It really comes from the fact that they're faced with the claims That science has proven the Earth to be billions of years old. That science cannot be questioned really on this. It gives absolute truth. And they don't feel at all qualified and aren't qualified really to engage the science or to look for errors in it. But at the same time, they don't want to give up on the Bible. So they have to find some way to hold on to the Genesis account while still giving into the claims of science, and that's what they do. They find some way to take Genesis without requiring those limits, the so-called young earth creationism that we've talked about. Well, is, is there any merit to what they say? Well, there really isn't, not if you go by what the Bible says. And it's pretty easy to show that if you ask yourself this. For 1,800 years after Jesus' time, for 1,800 years, Christians and Jews, for that matter, did not read Genesis 1 and think, you know what, this says something other than six 24-hour days. Something here is not clear. It could be something else. How should we understand it? It's actually very clear. It's clear in the English. It's certainly clear in the Hebrew. And that's why everybody understood what it meant. And nobody thought the earth was more than in the order of 6,000 or so years old for all that time. Really, these kind of claims started arising in the very late 18th century and 19th century when these claims of atheistic science came along, claiming that the earth was actually 50,000 years old, 500,000 years old, a million years old, 10 million years old, and so on. The number kept going up. And you have to ask yourself, did the Hebrew of the Bible change at all in that time? Well, I guess it wouldn't have changed, but is it possible that new discoveries for meanings of words could have been found? I mean, we do, when it comes to ancient languages, we do have 
lexicons that get updated throughout time. Yeah, that is possible, but that hasn't happened. They haven't shown us any documentation on the change of any of the meanings of the words that are involved in this debate. Okay, so so what do you do if you believe these supposed scientific claims, but you don't want to give up on the Bible? Yeah, well, that's that's the question, isn't it? And I think the whole issue actually comes down to what we trust as our supreme epistemological authority. Like, if we have two sources of authority making different claims, who do we go with? If we think that the Word of God disagrees with what uh, secular scientists are saying, who do we see as our supreme authority? It's just sort of like when Jesus asked about money, he said, you cannot serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. It's the same thing here. If you have, you cannot have two masters. One is going to rule over the other. So do you go with what the Bible says or what science says? But if you think that you can't question the science and you don't want to give up on the Bible, what can you do? Well, there are two approaches. There are two approaches that these people take. One is to say, as you suggested before, that the Hebrew has been mistranslated or misunderstood. And actually, we can exegete it in a different and legitimate way that would accord with the claims of atheistic science. Or we can simply deny that it was ever intended to be historical. There are those who claim that it wasn't meant to be taken as historical. The people in the, that day would not take it as historical. It would be poetic, polemic. I find that one particularly strange of all of these. They say that it was, it was polemical. It was meant to attack the other gods of the ancient Near East to show that our god is better. But how is our god better if uh, that stuff is, didn't actually happen, if he didn't actually create the world? Well, exactly. They would say, for example, that there are other ancient peoples who worship the stars as deities. And well, Genesis 1 says, no, God, our god created the stars, so the, our god is superior to them. But if That they, works if you believe what it actually says. Well, yes, that's the problem, isn't it? If God didn't create the stars as it says, then how does it prove his superiority? It would be like me saying, look, my dad is greater than your dad, because my dad, he won 16 Olympic gold medals, three different Nobel Prizes, he wrote 12 best-selling books, he climbed to the top of Mount Everest. He rescued 16 shiploads of orphans who were drowning at sea. Do you concede that my dad is greater than yours? And then you would ask, did he really do those? I said, well, no, I'm just making up stories to show how much better my dad is. So the, the polemical approach is just, I, I don't see anybody could take it seriously, really. But that is that is the way they go on some of these. It's It's either... We've misunderstood the Hebrew, let's get it straight, or let's just go with the idea it wasn't even meant to be historical in the first place. Okay, I, I recently saw a video of one Dr. Michael Heiser, and he was giving a talk called Genesis 1. Why more than one view of creationism is biblically possible? And he, he claimed that in fact when, when you read Genesis 1 in Hebrew, it, it doesn't actually teach young earth creationism that is earth being only thousands of years old and he, he said something like genesis 1 is not talking about the very beginning of the world but talking about god forming the earth out of pre-existing material that was already there and 
It could have been there for who knows how long before God formed the earth. All right, let's give his case a hearing. What is his basis for this claim? Okay, he goes through the first three verses of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Okay, so then Heiser says that the first clause is fine, but when you have... Which, which is the first clause? So, in, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay. So, then the next sentence starts with this word, now. Now, the earth was without form. And he says that the word now is a problem because it makes the sentence incomplete somehow. And then he asks, what if we translate verse 1 as, when God began to create the heavens and the earth? So then that would turn it into a dependent clause instead of its own sentence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what's his justification for doing this? Okay, he looks at the first word, Bereshit, beginning, and says to translate it as in the beginning, the vowel point should actually read Bareshit. But if you look at the vowel point in the Masoretic Hebrew text, it actually reads B-Reshit. So instead of translating that as in the beginning, Heiser says that the translation when God began to create is a completely legitimate translation and one that more accurately reflects the Masoretic text. All right. Let me explain a few things here just to make it clear to people who don't know Hebrew. Hebrew... Most of the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew. And Hebrew in its earliest form had only consonants. They didn't have vowels. As time went on, they began to use a couple of consonants to do double duty as vowels. And then eventually a group of Jewish scholars called the Masoretes, from about the 6th century onwards, began to put together this form of what they call vowel pointing. If you look at a printed Hebrew Bible today, you'll see the square characters. You'll see a bunch of little dots under the letters, above the letters, and so on. And these are vowel points. They're ways of putting in the vowel sounds for the words. And they're done this way so that they can put in the vowels without altering or changing or affecting the, the consonants. So uh, that's the Masoretic text, and it's the one that was, was put together by these scholars and includes these vowel points. Now, when you have the word, the Hebrew word for in the beginning, bereshit. Bereshit is the word for beginning. Be is a preposition for in. Now, what, what Heiser is saying here is that if you wanted to be in the beginning, the vowel point should sound like ah, bereshit. And we're not going to get into the technical reasons for that. That's not necessary here. But if you look at the actual vowel pointing, it doesn't have ba reshit, it has b reshit. And on this basis, then he claims that it should be translated when God began to create. He says that's a completely legitimate translation. And in fact, he says it more accurately reflects the Masoretic text. So, but what is he trying to get at with this line of argument? Well, he's suggesting that verse 1 and verse 2 of Genesis are actually 
preparatory statements describing the state of the world when God began to create, and his first creative act happens in verse 3, let there be light. So he calls this the Hebrew syntax view because this is strict Hebrew syntax. What is syntax? Oh, the, the arrangement of the words to make sentence. Exactly. Thank you, everyone, for listening today. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. But please join us for the next part tomorrow. Same time and same place. Thank you for listening to the Truth In My Days podcast with John Torse. We would love to hear from you. Please feel free to share any questions or comments you may have. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, MeWe, and YouTube. Simply search Truth In My Days as one word. Again, Truth In My Days as one word, no spaces in between. And you can connect with us. You may also visit our website for more comprehensive material and to learn more about our ministry. Our website is truthinmydays.com. Thank you.